As we walk through this fall series, Amy and I are both preaching shorter sermons together. I'm using the Old Testament text provided by the Revised Common Lectionary. Amy is using the Gospel passage for, for that Sunday. We're, we're journeying with the, the people of Israel and journeying with Jesus uh, throughout this fall. We continue in our journey with the ancient Israelites as they have left Egypt um, their bondage of Egypt led out by Moses. They have gone through the Red Sea. Last week we were with them as they complained. They were hungry. They had nothing to eat. They complained. This week we pick up their journey and they're still complaining. Imagine that, the people still complaining. So we pick this up today from Exodus, the 17th chapter, that we might learn something for it from them today, from Exodus chapter 17. From the wilderness of sin, interesting that that word is used there. That's the Hebrew word. It's not our word sin, but it's interesting to consider, isn't it? From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Occasionally, I've felt that way. What should I do with these people? They're driving me crazy, God, you know? Moses says, what shall we do with this people, God? And the Lord says to Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Now, this is interesting. If you go back into the story of Moses, Horeb, is, it, there are two traditions, but in one of the scriptural traditions, Horeb was the place where Moses first met God. It was at that place that Moses found the burning bush and heard the voice of God. And so interestingly, we are circled back in this story, again, looking for God, listening for God at Horeb. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? You have heard the ancient story. Let us listen now for the word of the Lord. A sermon is entitled, Is God in the Water? The Colorado River runs through the Grand Canyon with great carving strength and unique beauty. And it rolls along at a constant temperature in the low 50 degrees. Now I'm talking cold water. You can only stay in it for about 30 seconds. But all that cold water does very little to cool the Arizona air. Our family hiked the Bright Angel Trail in 2006, and we were wearing sweatshirts on the 68 degree south rim when we left. By the midway point, about five miles below, it was a cool 
110 degrees. And I have a picture of the thermometer that stands beside the creek just outside Phantom Ranch at the bottom of the, of the Grand Canyon. When we passed by there about six o'clock in the evening, the thermometer read 137 degrees. You know, the American West does boast dry cold and dry heat. Oh, it's dry heat out there, yeah? But let me assure you that dry does not make 137 degrees any less 137 degrees. It was hot. And that kind of crucible of weather, the fresh, cool water we found at the headquarters of Phantom Ranch has never tasted better. Was God in that water? You better believe it. The book of James says every good and perfect gift is from above, and there could be no more perfect a gift than a cup of cold water after trudging nine and a half miles in the Arizona sun. Well, that is, unless it was the air condition we found waiting for us in our cabins that night. Every good and perfect gift, God was in that water. The ancient Israelites were just as parched and desperate in the Sinai Desert as our family was on the bank of the Colorado River. And they said exactly the same thing. God is in the water, but there's no water. Where is God? There's no water. Is the Lord among us or not? It's a fair question to ask. I understand it completely. When the river has run dry and the chips are down, when chaos seems to strike at every turn, pandemic and racial injustice, hurricane and wildfire, a nation that seems to be imploding on the weight of its own misunderstood freedom, when life feels desperate, People in every place and every time have glanced toward the heavens with a leery eye and have asked, is the Lord among us or not? You can kind of feel that question being asked today, is the Lord among us or not? I understand the question. It's how we are built, evolved through eons into a consciousness of otherness like some of our more advanced cousins in the animal kingdom, we are aware of others like us. Whether enemy or neighbor, we can recognize the other who is like us. I'm always curious when I'm riding with my dog in the car or walking with my dog, she's always so interested in other dogs. She recognizes dogs. It doesn't matter what kind of dog. It doesn't matter whether the dog's in the car, in the house, we're passing by, on the street. She recognizes the other who is like her. Human beings recognize the other who is like us. And perhaps unlike any of our animal kin, human beings have also developed a keen sense of an other that is unlike us. Is the Lord among us or not. Seeing God may be the very natural result of an evolving self-consciousness. Human beings can self-differentiate 
That is, we can see ourselves almost as if from outside of ourselves. This self-consciousness is a feature of the human animal not even the best of neuroscience can explain. How can you be aware that you are? How can you think about what you are thinking about? Our deepest spiritual instincts are biologically hardwired through the warp and woof of evolutionary mystery. And as we came to be able to see ourselves, to be aware of ourselves, self-consciousness, homo sapiens, the thinking animal, learned by sense and intuition to be aware of God, the ultimate other. Being a thinking being, Homo sapiens started trying to figure it all out, and they started putting stories together, connecting the dots, giving meaning to mere happenings, adding faith to doubt, creating narratives, grand narratives that find us in the middle and God on the edges, but always there, pulling the strings, tweaking the energies of things known and unknown. Whether justified or not, we, the thinking being, love to weave tales that give meaning. God is a part of all of this. It's a beautiful thing. Religion, this narrative we've created, helps us to frame our lives with meaning. But all beautiful things can lead us astray. There's a seductive power and beauty and always a danger in simplifying mystery. Trying to make our theology fit in a soundbite on a bumper sticker, in connecting the dots in such a way as to give an easy answer to difficult questions. And life is difficult. There are no easy answers. Is the Lord among us or not? It is a good question. It was the right question for the Israelites to ask in a parched desert it is the right question for us to ask in this moment of national confusion and chaos and crisis. Is the Lord among us or not? The Israelites asked this question at a place that was to become known as Massah and Meribah. Two names, strange name for this place. Is it one place or two places? No one knows where that is. No one even knows where it was. But we know what the names mean, which is probably why the story was told in the first place and why it makes it into our scripture. The names mean something like quarreling and testing. The people came to a struggling moment in their journey and they quarreled. They quarreled with one another. Where's the water? I thought you were supposed to pack the water bottles. And they quarreled with Moses. Why have you brought us out here just to die of thirst? And they quarreled with God. God, where are you? God, are you? They quarreled. That's just what people do. 
and they tested their leader and they tested their God. Now you will remember that generations later, as Jesus was struggling without water in the desert of his temptations, the devil had offered him the world and Jesus said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. But it seems to me this is reality, isn't it? Testing God, questioning God, struggling with God. The Israelites got their name when their ancestor Jacob fought with a man he had encountered on the bank of the Jabbok River. The competitors were deadlocked as they scuffled all night long, Jacob and this strange man. And as morning approached, Jacob told the intruder that he would not let him go unless the man gave him a blessing. And that blessing came in the form of a new name. You will be called Israel, for you have contended with God, struggled, wrestled, tested God. You have contended with God, and you have prevailed. Now, Jacob did not prevail by winning. Jacob did not win. The two were still locked in battle as the sun rose that morning. Jacob prevailed by contending. It is the meaning of faith. Not easy answers. Not a walk in the park. Not Sunday school lessons that only talk about miracles and sentimental blessings. Faith is a life of quarreling and testing God. Human beings hunger and thirst because that physical desire can be filled. Just so with a spiritual thirst, the need to ask the questions, to doubt God, to question God. Testing God in and of itself points to God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They quarreled and tested themselves and one another, their leader and their God, and in response, water poured forth from a rock, which is about as illogical a thing as has ever happened. They quarreled and tested and found life where they would never have expected it. Science cannot explain this. Historians cannot find the place where it happens. Skeptics will scoff. But it is the testimony of the people of God the world over. When you last expect it, where you can least explain it, and when you most need it. Water comes from a rock. Is the Lord among us or not? In this very difficult day in the life of our nation, a day of quarreling and testing, may it be so. Amen. On our journey with Jesus today, I will be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, the 21st chapter, beginning with verse 23. But I'm going to read it within the context of the sermon, not as something separate. So Matthew 21, beginning with verse 23. And on the journey with Jesus today, they, 
were setting a trap for Jesus. They, the powers that be, they were always trying to set a trap for him. Why would the powers that be do that? Why were they so threatened by him? They were conniving like that, working the system from behind closed doors and hushed comments and whispers to one another, constantly trying to bring him down because if they let him, if they let him get out of control, the people might just believe that there was another way. And that other way was one that flew in the face of religious and political leaders of the day. They loved their power, and they would not, could not, let another take it away. Because let's face it, if you let love guide your way, and if you act on behalf of another, especially an other that is seen as less than, and if you practice forgiveness and reconciliation and grace, and if you live with a sense of hope, peace, love, and joy, well, that just won't work with the way the system was designed to work, with a few people in power holding all of the authority to do what they wanted, when they wanted, to whom they wanted, so that they could be in charge. Yeah. The Jesus way is no way to run a society, a culture, a people, a world. The Jesus way was too upside down and inside out. With the Jesus way in place, the powers that be, the authorities, would be powerless. Remember from last week? The last will be first, the first will be last. That won't do. So they set a trap for him. They would question his authority. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching. He's in the middle of teaching. And they come to him and they interrupt his lesson and say, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus knew it was trickery. So he did the clever thing, and he answered their question with a question. Jesus said, well, I will also ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. So here's the question. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? So they huddled up together in their little smoky conference room, and they argued with one another. Well, if we say from heaven, then he will say to us, well, then why didn't you believe him? But on the other hand, if we say, well, the uh, baptism of John was from human origin, well, we're too afraid of the crowd because the crowd, they really had high regard for John as a prophet. So they commiserated back and forth what to say, what to do, how to answer. So they went back to Jesus and said, we do not know. And he said to them, well, then I'm not going to tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Oh, God. He didn't even acknowledge their question with an answer. The trappers got trapped. But Jesus couldn't leave it alone. So he said, let me tell you a little story. 
What do you think, guys? A man had two sons. He goes to the first son and says, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And that son answered, I will not do it. But later he changed his mind and he went and he did the work in the vineyard. The father went to the second son and said the same thing. Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And the second son answered, I go, sir. But then he didn't go. He turns to the chief priests and the elders and he says, which two of the sons did the will of the father? And they said, the first son who went and just did it, even though he said he wouldn't do it. And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you, the chief priests and elders did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they believed him. And even after you saw it, you did, you did not change your minds and believe him. This story in Matthew's gospel, the powers get caught in their own trap. In other words, Jesus told them, you will know who I am and for whom I'm working by what I do. That will be my authority. As commentator Caroline Lewis points out, and when it comes to the church, ideas, creeds, doctrines, even scripture are not our authority. The true test of our authority is whether or not we believe in and make possible Emmanuel, God with us in the world. That is our only authority. On the journey with Moses today, we were left with the question, is God among us or not? If we claim to follow the Jesus way, then we have been given the power of the authority of Jesus Christ to do the stuff Jesus did, to say the stuff Jesus said, to be the person Jesus was. By your actions, by your words, they will know who you are and who holds authority over you. And then as people wonder again and again and again, throughout all time, through wars and rumors of wars, through unrest in the streets, through global pandemics, through hurricanes and fires, through political strife and conflict, as people wonder, is the Lord among us or not? Maybe they will look to us, the followers of Jesus, and be soothed. Yes, I see God's people, and they are working and seeking justice and truth, and they are practicing hospitality. They are lifting up the weak and feeding the hungry and taking care of the least of these. They are practicing forgiveness and consoling those who grieve. They are carrying one another's burdens and being generous beyond measure. They cracked the rock open and they found water and they didn't keep the water for themselves. 
that they handed out cups of cool, refreshing water to the parched people all over the land. They have the authority of the God of love, and because of them, the Lord is indeed among us, for we see God at work through them and within them, and because of them, wouldn't it be great if people were saying that about us? Caroline Lewis goes on to explain, when do we reflect responsibly on the authority imparted to us? How do we use our authority? Perhaps here is where the passage from Philippians should be echoing in our minds. This is your authority. It has to do with being of the same mind, the same love, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, regard others better than yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interest of others, being of the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. Love, selflessness, humility, regard for the other, caring for the other, emptying, vulnerability. Those are not the usual characteristics associated with authority. But that's the kind of authority we have. To be different than the powers that be. The Lord is indeed among us. The world is just needs for us to act like it. May it be so. Amen.